Hey everyone, I'm super excited about my conversation with Evan Schwartz. Evan is the CEO and founder of Beluga. He has 15 plus years of overseeing businesses focused on education, social impact, and innovation. He has created and implemented educational programs and cross-cultural initiatives all over the United States at the K-12 level and at the university level. Along with being a consultant, he's been recognized by a Global Leaders Award for introducing new ways of thinking and acting to address the world's biggest challenges, specifically in the area of climate change, pollution, hunger, poverty, and education. Make sure you stick around as we talk about areas of improvement for the world of education and how he's used strategies from around the world to help his business and other school districts to fight against some of our deepest and long-lasting problems. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Evan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Joshua. Great to be here. I'm excited uh, you know, to have this conversation. I know it's uh, not an easy time in education, and we'll chop it up here tonight and hopefully give some people some good advice. Oh, for sure. I absolutely love talking with you. We had a great conversation not too long ago, and I had to have you on the podcast for everyone to listen to all of the wonderful ideas that you have. But before we dive into some great topics tonight, I would love to hear about your educational journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, a hell of a journey, to say the least. So my background actually is not from the classroom setting. So originally, I started my career really in through and through a startup guy. Right. So I'm definitely on the business side of the education process, we'll call it. But started my first company probably about two weeks out of university. And this is back in 2007 when no one prepared anyone for, hey, in two weeks, there's going to be a recession. Right? Like <laughs> school really didn't prepare us for those things. So uh, about two weeks later, I say it was the best gift I've ever received in my life. I realized that the corporate path was not for me. And I'm going to bet on myself. So at the time, flipped open a marketing media agency, uh, really aimed at Gen Y, Gen Z, and serving them up different experiences, professional content, social impact, uh, really across the US. So ended up working probably at scale about 500 different universities, implemented educational programs, career programs as well for their students on behalf of major Fortune 500 companies, mom and pop shops locally. Uh, so really got a sense on, you know, what's happening at the university level for, you know, the better half of the decade on that side. Ended up during the later tenure of that agency uh, falling in love with social impact and saying, well, hey, I'm still a young guy, right? Like the bottom line is nice and all, but what are we really doing? Right? Like how do we actually make an impact on people and communities? So I ended up dissolving the agency. Me and one of my buddies were running it at the time really heavily on media as well. And uh, why I looped that in is content and social impact have really been the threads throughout my career, but ended up going kind of the NGO nonprofit route for a number of years and consulting with different organizations uh, worldwide, everything from, you know, local uh, medical companies uh, and causes to the United Nations and UNICEF and understanding how can they bridge their physical to digital strategy, uh, but then also reach Gen Y, Gen Z, right? This golden audience of people that are actually going to take that message and run with it. So consulted for a few years. Uh, I like to say consulting is the best job in the world. And I know there's probably a lot of educators out there that are consultants listening right now too, but you get to sleep at night, which is a rare trait, right? And you get to get paid for your opinion. <laughs> Uh, but ultimately had that itch, right? The entrepreneur itch. And about six years ago today, uh, almost to the date probably, uh, this crazy idea for Beluga came up. 
which is my current company today. Beluga really stemmed looking around the world, having conversations with a lot of friends overseas, uh, and then just asking, man, what's going on in the U.S.? Right? Politics, gun violence, health, uh, you name it, right? We see all these crazy headlines. What's really happening? Uh, I always start these conversations. It does not matter politically, right? What side of the fence anyone's on, that's their own personal opinion. Uh, but I think everyone could agree that six years back, and especially today, the media is just dousing these stories with gasoline. And unless you have some sort of common connection and bridge ultimately to a different religion, race, ideology, culture, you're pretty much left to the media to dictate how you should think, feel, and act towards someone else or someplace else. It's it's ridiculous, to be honest. So if we're consuming all that information as adults, what are kids thinking? It's not when you and me were back in school and growing up. Kids have more access than ever before. We all do, which is a double-edged sword, right? It's a blessing and a curse because... It opens up the world literally from the palm of your hand. But what type of information am I getting from there? So the whole concept came about, one, first and foremost, how would we set up the next generation for success? And in doing so, let's look towards the classroom to start, right? Let's not wait until they're 18 and going into university. Let's start early. These guys are consuming, and girls, are consuming so much information. Let's start really sparking their curiosity and creativity here. So I took a look around and said, well, traditional curriculum is pretty much the same as when I was in a classroom. What's going on at that point, right? And at the point too, I wasn't in a classroom probably since my own university days. So I took a nice hiatus from traditional education on the learning side of it. Uh, I like to say I went back to school, right? So I spent probably about six months to a year literally speaking with any single educator that would talk to me. I mean, like rolling up my sleeves, it was ugly to say the least. Twitter became my best friend at the time for educators. Uh, which is why I'm honestly so passionate about connecting with educators these days still on Twitter and just found that there was such a gap in the space, right? Between curriculum, between content and understanding what content is. But then also how do we bridge that from the interest-based learning to the classroom-based learning while at the same time getting students exposed not only to different pieces of content and stories, but let's have them start sharing ideas with other people, right? And let's start creating bridges instead of barriers between communities, countries, religions, races, ideologies, etc. Uh, and that's really where Beluga came about. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned this. What is Beluga? So Beluga, really, our mission has not changed. What we are first, uh, we are content and curriculum. So we work with organizations worldwide, like the United Nations, UNICEF, uh, movie studios, documentaries. Uh, and what we're able to do is produce content in video format uh, that one is aimed at sparking students' curiosity and creativity. Uh, we are K-12 across the board. These days, our library price passes about 75,000 hours plus of streaming content, adding new stuff every single day. But we really want to push something that said it's not just for eyeballs to watch aimlessly and just consume. Every single piece of content aligned directly to core subject area, curriculum and standards. Everything is age appropriate, subject appropriate. Uh, and we also use the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals as a key metric of our platform, right? To understand how does this content that gets a check mark in the classroom actually apply to my community for action and impact. And then finally, through the system, students and teachers are not only able to consume and create, but also collaborate. And that could be with someone in their own class. That could be with someone across the city. That could be someone on the other side of the planet. Uh, Beluga is really, really heavy in AI too. So we really try to produce the best experience possible for each individual learner. So I'm amazed, to be honest, what schools, teachers, parents, students have been able to do over the last few years. Personally, I think, you know, we're all experiencing at this point, PTSD with online learning and understanding, you know, no one was prepared for this two years ago. We got thrown into it. 
educators were heroes that first year going into the summer. Hey, we're on the front lines. We're doing great things. Last year, it felt like, you know, educators just kind of do your job in a sense from the public. And now we're at this point of what comes next, right? Like I, there's a mass exodus away from the practice. So more than anything, I'll tell you, like, we're, we're just trying to be there for our district partners. We're still expanding pretty quickly on our side, but understanding also how does this not just become another thing, but how is this really going to help again, teachers, parents, admins, uh, and most of all the students. So I want to talk about just your perspective on things is obviously you're in a different role than most educators listening right now. But I think it's pretty critical because you've not only talked to a ton of educators over the last so many years, you're working with the United Nations as far as the standards, you're doing great things with Beluga. From the outside looking in, what are some things that can be done in education that can shift to make it a better product? How much time we got on this one? Let's go, man. Let's go. <laughs> so the first and foremost, it's funny, it was actually a speaking with one of our district partners at West, really, really large district at this point. But one of the big things I always say is leverage your community, right? I find that, hey, we're going into the four walls of a school, even if we're learning remote. For some reason, we don't like to tap into the resources within you know, a few blocks of our school. I, I don't understand why at that point, mm-hmm. but there, there's two worlds that are starting to blend here. So I've seen a lot over the last few weeks and been pretty vocal on this on Twitter, uh, superintendents coming out, and asking parents to be substitute teachers. To me, that's, it's not good, right? Like that's, again, the nice way to say this, nothing against the soup, right? Nothing against the district. They're at rock bottom right now, right? Like they need support. Bringing a parent into the school from a substitute perspective is not the answer, right? My pushback on it, it's a warm body. The students that are getting these parents, are they tested the same? Are they assessed the same, right? Like, what does it really look like? Not today where it's, you know, putting a bandaid on it, but how do we start understanding sustainability, right? Within our schools. Like these kids are there for the next 12 years, hopefully, right? In this case, there's a lot of public schools that are losing kids to the privates, to the pods. And then you have the, you know, upper, we'll call it, you know, secondary schools that are saying, what am I doing in here, right? Like nine to 12, I have this great little device in the palm of my hand. Why am I coming into the classroom? It's a disaster to listen to my buddy's parent talk. So I think, you know, we really have to start understanding if there's a mass migration away from the practice, UNICEF put out a great stat pre-pandemic, I think it was back in 2018, that said by the year 2030, to serve up every single child, elementary and secondary education, we need 60 million new teachers. So this is over the course of 12 years. So you factor in, this is about 5 million new teachers per year, literally impossible pre-pandemic. Now forget about it. So something has to give at this point. What I've seen and what I, I mean, like I'll throw a shout out to one school. And I don't even know these guys. I came across them just on Twitter, but there's one school that I'm fascinated with over in the UK called Farscape Community School. And what these guys have done is they've shifted to a four day week. And it's just one, there's something like, oh my God, what do you mean four days, right? Like our kids need to be in school from this time to this time, Monday to Friday. What they've seen is that tests happiness, mental health, attendance have skyrocketed over the last few months since they've implemented this. And the main reason why is they're not removing hours from the school. What they've done is there's instruction, core instruction, Monday to Thursday. And on Friday, students can learn from anywhere, right? They can learn from home. They could come into the school and there's some volunteers or maybe a parent, maybe the principal, maybe the science teacher. 
that is in school that is able to help kids, whatever they're working on that day. So is that the answer for most schools? Probably not, right? Especially the large public schools. But what I think we could get from it is you don't have to learn physically sitting in a room. That's the first case. The second thing is we have to slow down for a minute, right? Like everyone is scrambling. Honestly, like I hope it's this summer that some change really goes into effect. But like we need to understand that this virus or another virus, right? Like we don't physically have to be the one room schoolhouse anymore. And we don't have to listen to one person for 45 minutes and then take a test and everyone gets a check mark or a minus. Like it's nonsense. Right? Like people don't learn like that. You look at YouTube and you look at streaming platforms and how much content is consumed and then pushed back out from the learner. It's outdated, this traditional model of just sage on the stage. So I think going back full circle, and you got me rambling on this one now too, but if you really think about it, how do we start leveraging our community? Those great educators that are there, instead of just pushing a textbook or a test, which I know they're dying to do, let's start pushing real world application. So if we're talking about civics or we're talking about chemistry or climate or gender equality, it doesn't matter. How do we start leveraging people within our own communities? Not just to patch in on a quick, you know, here's a Zoom chat and we're seeing you for 45 minutes, everyone's getting really excited and we don't see anything past that. How do we actually understand that everyone is an educator in their own sense? And the goal is to guide and inspire our kids. So what does it look like from an X's and O's standpoint? That's deep, right? On it, depending on what the district is, depending on, honestly, depend their demographics too. Does this district have full access to devices? Do they have full access to internet? You know, what type of businesses are in their communities? And traditional one industry type of community, or are they bustling big city? One of the big things that especially industry is looking at, and the only reason I say this is because we're speaking with these guys daily, is they're looking at the high schools and saying, how do I actually create programming so that student is trained and is a gem for me to recruit, whether they're coming out of 12th grade or they're coming out of senior in college or grad school? That's the big thing with technology is we don't have to be age agnostic anymore. Like it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, that eight-year-old, I saw something earlier today. There's a 14-year-old. There's three businesses. She's set to be the earliest person to retire ever. I mean, like, it's just unbelievable. And she's not on YouTube, right? Like, she has full businesses. So I just think, you know, the traditional way of school that, and I know educators are dying to get out of this. That's why, like, I have to stop for a minute and pause because no educator is happy right now. Like, I just, I haven't seen it. This is not what they signed up for. And it's failing. It, It just is. So how do we start leveraging community to help support, you know, and pick us up? So the local scientist, you know, that is um, on the coast and marine biologist, right? How is that person coming in and sharing that information with kids that are dying to become marine biologists or the next great NGO leader? So I think we really start leveraging community. And of course, right, like we have to understand that testing is not the answer. And I know that is like, it's such a big ball here. But I'll throw a few facts at you that I I just think the pins are falling right now. So Mm -hmm. in the last year alone, there's about a thousand U.S. universities that shifted away from the SATs and ACTs. SATs just announced that they're all going digital by the year 2024. So if you start looking at this, the universities that aren't accepting this, this is a billion dollar industry, the SATs and ACTs, right? Like this is no like little slouch here. So if universities are shying away from it, they can't go on testing. What are they going to assess? Right. And at that point, to me, at least it's content, depth and knowledge. So it's not saying, hey, John, what did you get on your math and English? It's John, why are you applying to USC to our film school? Show me your capstone project as a senior on 
what you created on, you know, race wars within LA, but at the same time, why did you become passionate about filmmaking? How do I trace your story from the start? And from the start, I don't mean 12th grade, you know, September 1, I mean, six years old. So I think if you really start looking at where we're going with portfolios and social media is capturing this stuff immediately, right? Like this is not a new concept. It's how do we start tracing pathways from early childhood and then on the educator side, how do we then surround those students with those resources to get from point A to point B and then look back on it and say like, this is the assessment that I need, right? It's going to be a little bit longer because you actually have to look and see what kids are doing which there's probably going to be some biases. So that whole system needs to get worked out a little bit more too. But we are shifting away from testing. I mean, it's it blatant that this model does not work. And more than anything, it's not working for kids. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a major, major shift with leveraging community uh, and then also understanding how do we properly assess students? This conversation alone, we probably ran through 50 standards, yeah. right? Like our New York state standards, we just ran through 50. Why are we so like guided by this? And I understand the state is pushing down funding and you know all those things that go along with it, but something just has to give here. So if I had to say anything, that was my long-winded rant for you because you got me going. <laughs> but I mean, man, it's, it's definitely community and it's definitely reanalyzing what does assessment mean to us. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. I keep getting stuck on sustainable product because, you know, that staring number you talked about, 60 million teachers by 2030. And I'm just thinking of, of all of the teachers and administrators that are retiring this year because the last two years have been so difficult. And then, like you said, there's a lot of teachers that are saying, hey, this isn't what I'm signing up for and I'm not getting paid enough. So I need to find something else. And the bus drivers and the cafeteria workers and all those other folks that people are struggling to find to employ. And I'm just wondering, you know, does it does it take the system to crumble for it to be rebuilt into something that's sustainable for a much longer time? Yeah, um, no doubt about it. That, that's un- unfortunately, and I'm honestly the most positive person you've ever met in your life. I'm like painfully positive, to be honest. <laughs> On that side of it, though, I feel like we're at rock bottom now. Uh, there, listen, there's some districts and some schools that are doing great things, yeah. but the majority are dying, literally. Like mental health is reactive instead of proactive. That's the biggest thing. We are just huge on that here at Beluga. This thing is broken to say the least. And I just heard from someone the other day that said education is not broken. It's doing exactly what it was meant to do, right? Except the process, it was made 200 years ago. Yeah. Before this nice, pretty thing called the internet and cell phones and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it, one, it has to blow up. And I think you're seeing it already. I mean, there, there's a reason why public schools are drastically losing students. And the privates are gaining and flying right now. You know, I, I've seen some pods here in the Northeast you know, where they're hiring one or two teachers, a group of parents, because they don't want their kids exposed. And, mm-hmm. you know, however people feel like that is another conversation. But, you know, five parents get their kids together. These individual teachers who you know, are monitoring and educating their kids in general studies throughout the year, they're getting paid a boatload of money, paying like maybe an extra zero on their checks. Mm-hmm. So you start looking at this and say, what am I doing here? Right? Like, I'm, this is not what I signed up for. The kids aren't learning. I feel like every day I'm risking my life. I'm working seven days a week. I can't take a minute to breathe. So I think, I think the system, we're here, right? Like, I, I don't think 
you have to wait any longer to see what it looks like blown up. I think the biggest thing why publicly it's happening now is there's not enough bodies anymore, mm-hmm. right? So like the, the pandemic didn't the pandemic didn't change education, it exposed it, right? So th- this thing has been coming for a very, very long time. Uh, we are absolutely at rock bottom. And I think if, you know, the districts that refuse to change are going to be the ones completely left in the dust. All right, man, you've talked about it a couple times, Beluga. So it's a online streaming service. You got a bunch of content on there. I'm, I'm curious on what else you do to serve districts. Great question. So one, the biggest thing, especially now, is curation. Right? And that, that's a word I'll say is extremely underrated in education. So we have a ton of content. Again, more stuff coming every single day. And honestly, it's real world, right? So Beluga is not going to teach you what one plus one is. We're going to show you how one plus one creates new plastic bottles, right? That's our goal here. So all of it is very focused with a sustainability lens and, you know, how are we preparing kids for success in the future, regardless of what pathway they go down? So one of the big things that we always do, and this has really been expedited by the pandemic, is we work hand in hand with our districts, right? And what I mean by that is we spend a lot of time doing it but it's really to understand them. So we're working with districts that, I mean, 200 kids total in super, super rural communities where their kids probably haven't traveled 25 miles outside their hometown before. Then we're working with districts that have you know, 350,000 kids that this is a city in itself. So depending on what department we're coming into, what age range, we always love to do district rollouts, but especially the big ones, fortunately it doesn't work like that. So we're going department, we're going age range, or really focus, right? So we always ask three questions right out of the gate. It's where are you at today? Where do you want to get to? And what does a win look like for you? Where that win looks like, that's what we want to do working backwards. So what we'll then do is tap into our content and understand, hey, there is a boatload of material here. How do we just start curating content, which through our technology takes no time, to be honest. And that, you know, that's our little trade secret here. Uh, We have a pretty robust database where you're able to curate pretty quickly. And we also offer teachers those curation tools as well. But once in, if a district's coming to me and, you know, February is here saying, hey, we really want to focus on Black History Month. Well, how do we start serving up content specifically as the entry point? And the entry point is one of the key factors these days, more than ever before. We know teachers are getting so much stuff thrown at them that if we could bring them to water in a sense and say, hey, John, you don't have to create that lesson tonight, right? Give us a chance. Let's see what your kids think of this. We're very confident in what our experience looks like, feels like, and then educates on. Once they're in and saying, hey, this stuff is pretty interesting, right? Like our kids are into it. We know the self-exploration happens. Like I could talk and pitch districts till I'm blue in the face, and I will if I have to. But at the same point, my voice is never going to be as loud as their colleagues or their students. So it's a really important factor, one, to get them off on the right foot, help curate that material, and Again, try to set everyone up for success there. But also the big factor that we've seen, especially this year more than ever, is how do we even elevate the experience? So because we work with so many of these content partners worldwide, I mean, literally 300 plus at this point, really big to really small, what we're then able to do is start the conversation with these organizations. So through our technology, you're not only able to have students involved in this collaboration, the educator, and I say educator promptly on it because they're the only ones that could cause collaborations. So kids can't just search for other kids. We're not Facebook or Instagram on that sense. Um, If an educator is connecting or sharing links with someone else, they can invite our experts into the mix. So I'll give an example. We have one district that we're working really, really closely with in Canada right now. uh, And they have a whole social entrepreneurship program where their educators are 
really guiding groups of students on amazing projects. Let's understand how do we support communities affected by flooding or how do we create beehives for our community? One specifically was very focused on animal activism, right, and conservation. So understanding what does that look like in their community, but what does it look like globally as well? So what we were able to do is curate a boatload of content on global activism and conservation, but also get then get them connected with our partners down in Africa who are protecting 2 million acres of wildlife land and have been so successful at eliminating poachers, they've actually turned them into park rangers now. Oh, wow. So that's an experience that, and experience is really where we're getting to, is not just having this content that you could, hey, third period, we're flipping this on and let our kids have a nice, you know, 20 minutes, hour experience here. But how do we bring these experts in? And not just a Zoom conversation. No one wants to see, you know, the talking head behind the screen anymore. So I appreciate this is audio because audio is <laughs> 10 times better than video these days. But looking at it, how does that park ranger now stay with that classroom, right? And patch in. So Jane just created this great project on conservation. That park ranger, how do they respond to Jane? Not only today, but in three months from now and start creating, you know, those communities. So it's, you know, looping back again to the community aspect, you could see really where our focus is, but it's working hand in hand. And I think, you know, for us, one of the realizations, honestly, that, you know, open book on my side, but I don't say this too much, is we realized pretty quickly throughout the pandemic, we don't need to be everything for everyone. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. And honestly, if you asked me six years ago, I would have said, yeah, I'm going to go get every single district in the world. It's still the dream. And it's not because of, you know, I want to get every district in the world. It's I want every single kid to have an opportunity to learn these things. And that's really the mission behind it. But more than ever, you know, if the district isn't interested today, it's perfectly fine. Right. Let's go where these programs are being established and they need some support as opposed to trying to sell them, you know, just another ed tech product. I'll tell you, like, I hate the term ed tech. It like, gives me, uh, you know, the heebie jeebies. I think it's <laughs> an extremely mediocre industry where most of the time it's, hey, we're just selling in subscriptions and, you know, we'll see in a year from now. That's not our play over here. Right. It's a complete waste of time for the teacher, for the students, for us as an organization. Uh, so, really, you know, laser focused, right, on communities that, really need things like this uh, and are wanting to change their learning experience. It's awesome, man. So Evan, I always ask my guests for those who are looking to be leaders or maybe they're current leaders, what can they do tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey? Yeah, oh, man. Uh, my biggest thing, and I think I try to practice it every single day, is just having gratitude and perspective on where you're at. Right? Like understanding that every single day, there's a reason why you're pissed off. You're having a bad day because you know where you want to get to. So I think the biggest thing is one perspective is understanding where am I at today? Where did I come from? And what is everything else around me doing? What are the people doing? What is the experience like today? And in gratitude, right? Just understanding like I could have been doing a million other things. I am stuck in education, whether I like it or not. I couldn't do anything else at this point, right? So having gratitude, my worst day to be able to come in and say, hey, we want to shake some stuff up here. Even if literally my worst day, and I've, I'll tell you, there have been horrible days over the last two years, business-wise. But understanding like, hey, I get another try at this tomorrow morning, awesome, right? So I think the biggest thing from a leadership perspective, one, gratitude and perspective in yourself, but then also understanding how do you implement that in those around you, right? Everyone has other things going on. Getting someone's ear and getting their eyeballs and having them go along the journey with you from a team standpoint, it's rare. Right? Like this is not just a given thing. You know, you sign up and everyone has a job and everyone's going to get it along. So I think those two qualities, personas, however you want to describe them, 
uh, I think that's leadership 101, right? Is understanding, you know, how do we, again, put people in a position to succeed, but then also understanding, you know, how do we implement this mentality in them too? So Evan, how can folks connect with you on social media? And if they want to learn more about Beluga, how can they do that? Yeah, great question. So Beluga, you can check out beluga.org. Uh, we spelled it a little differently. So the white whale doesn't come up when you search on Google. So it's B-E-L-O-U-G-A.org. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Beluga underscore, uh, and myself on Twitter, at Evan Schwartz. I am on 24-7. Twitter is definitely my preferred channel. Uh, please feel free to reach out, questions, shoot me a DM. I love having these conversations uh, and really just appreciate what the community's doing. Yeah, and Evan's not lying. If you want to reach out, he will get back with you and loves having great conversations. And Evan, I always feel like I learn more from you each time. I love what you're doing with Beluga and how you're impacting education. So I just appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the Inspire Podcast. Appreciate it.